Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Welcome back to the Anime World Order podcast. This is show number 125 coming at you from Florida, where it is a freezing cold 55 degrees this morning. (laughs) I don't know how I was going to deal with it. I almost had to put on a light jacket. It was like 42 degrees all the way up here. I thought we were going to die. We're recording this because uh, pretty soon I have to fly out to Minnesota, where it's actually cold for real. Before we get too out of hand, introductions are in order for all the first-time listeners out there. I know there must be one or two. I am Daryl Surratt. I am Gerald Rathkolb. And I am Clarissa. And each edition of the Anime World Order podcast, we uh, answer emails and talk about things related to Japanese animation and Japanese comics, and this episode is no exception. So first things first, we've got a mailbag, and people are often intimidated when I say how many items are in the mailbag, but we assure you that every single one of them is read immediately. Whether or not we respond to them is another story. So if you want us to read your email... The address is animeworldorder at gmail.com. And so I actually have an email that we received almost in in response to our previous episode. How timely. Yeah, yeah, how timely. You know, we just reviewed short piece. And sure enough, to show how out of touch I am, I, I love getting the feedback because I need that reality check every once in a while. The one that I said was the, the lamest looking and least creative short of the bunch is the one that won the Noboru Ofuji Award, which is the hardest award in anime to receive. Uh. It's the one that it's only given if something really pushes the medium forward such that on most years, nothing wins. Well, that short that I didn't think was all that great was the one that won. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of that because I had actually read that and then promptly forgot about it, as is my want. But this one is from Ted and it says, question for AWO. Do I have bad taste in anime? And here's what he writes. Hi, AWO. I've been a regular listener since 2008 and maybe the only person who listens to the show via Stitcher. This is interesting. I actually uh, had heard various things about Stitcher were listed on there. Mm. I know it's installed on the new Mazdas, and so it's going to be a, a service that more people are starting to use. It starts to roll out in more places. One of my coworkers uses it. I haven't tried it yet, though. Yeah, I submitted us to Stitcher as soon as I heard about it, just because getting us out there is a good thing. But now I'm wondering. I'm not sure, because I hear some people say that Stitcher monetizes their show without asking permission. Yeah. And I listened, you know, I loaded up the app. I didn't see any ads or anything interspersed in this episode or before or after. I actually want to know if anyone here is listening to the show via Stitcher, how does that work? Because it seems like it's just a podcast directory. I'm not sure how anyone's making money off of this show. We certainly aren't. 
this is Creative Commons distributed, so you should not be making money with this. You're free to distribute it as long as you don't make money. And give us credit, I believe. Attribute, that's correct. Ted continues, I meant to ask this question a while back, but since you guys keep stating that, quote, we have over a thousand emails, sort of scared me into writing until now. I preemptively addressed that. Anyway, I feel that I have become the anti-fan for anime, at least according to my friends. It all started back when I was watching... Panty and stocking with garter belt. At the time, I thought this show sucked, but my friends thought it was one of the greatest shows they've ever seen. Then I saw Madoka Magica, another show which I did not seem to care for, but the anime club I went to at the time would not stop talking about it and treated me like I was an outcast who didn't like anime. The new hottest show, Kill the Kill, is another show that I cannot get into, but I feel secluded for doing so since that seems to be the new anime that is making the rounds on all social media networks. What I want to know is, is there something wrong with me, or do I just have a bad taste in anime? I know some of these shows are well-received, and I do accept those shows as being good, but I don't seem to connect with today's anime fandom. Sorry, I didn't mean to make this sound like a psychological question. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on my quote, problem anyway keep up the good work i'll keep listening to your show on stitcher thanks ted i guess the first thing i'd say is that certainly you don't have bad taste in anime it's possible that you maybe you just don't like hiroyuki yamaishi because he directed panty and stocking with garter belt and he also directed kill the mm-hmm. kill right and uh he certainly has a style that is very bombastic mm. it's also very laden with like really freaky uncomfortable sexual content and imagery it just sort of goes with the territory everything that guy does from dead leaves to gurren lagan to panty and stocking now kill a kill which just ended that's all kind of fits the bill so maybe you just don't like that guy madoka magica i don't really care for akiki shimbo and he's made a billion things uh most of which you know don't seem to do that much for me but a lot of them tend to be popular it's not really that big of a deal you just need to Maybe find other He also people. didn't mention what he likes, really. Yeah. Just mentioned what he didn't like, and that's fine. Three shows that are relatively big and popular, every fan goes through that. Like, I don't give a shit about Furikuri. Not one shit. Not when it was coming out, it was the big hot thing that was going on, and I never cared for it. Still don't care for it today. And for a while, I was like, is there something wrong with my taste? Like, no, I just don't like that style of comedy where the punchline is they're screaming it. I think the examples he gave are just because those were the shows that were the thing that got the most fan attention for this time when it was airing. And that's why I mentioned Furikuri, because that show was like enormous when it was coming out. Right. Recently, a lot of people would often write in or wonder out loud online when Attack on Titan was airing, and a lot of people didn't get into that, and then saying, well, something wrong with me for not thinking the show is that good? And my answer would be yes, but no, uh, the thing is... is It's just some people just don't get swept up in the mania. I'm usually not the person who gets swept up in the mania either. I didn't really care for Sword Art Online. That show was gigantic. I was not really a huge fan of Sunrise shows back when those were the things that people were heavily doodly into. I had my suspicions about Sword Art Online, and those were, well... I'm glad I listened to those suspicions. I am also similarly not really seeing the big mania over Log Horizon. And that's a huge show by all accounts. I'm not watching it. I don't, not really interested in the core premise of it, you know. Same thing with Sword Art. What about you, Clarissa? What do you think? I think I've hit the point where I don't really give a shit anymore. Like, like what you like and watch what you <laughs> want to watch. Like, who fucking cares? Yeah, I'm so out of touch. I think the reason he cares 
is because that's what the anime club's watching. Yeah. And I'm not an anime club. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I can kind of see, like, if you're in anime club or if you're participating in fandom and online in a similar sense, then, yeah, I get kind of how that is. I've had that sometimes. More so, I think, in Western fandoms. It happens there, too. I remember when everybody jumped ship and... It was crazy about Merlin, and I couldn't get into that show at all. It was so bad. That's because you have taste. It's because it didn't have Sam Neill in it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, personally, it's just maybe the way that I got into anime, early 90s, late 80s, where you couldn't be necessarily up on what was hot, because mm. there wasn't, like, a connected fandom, really, and if it was, you were months or years behind. Kimogori Orange Road was a popular show like years after the show ever aired, and that was still like a small group of people online that you had to be following. So you could have completely missed that whole thing. I would argue that if you were going to Anime Club anywhere in the late 80s, early 90s, someone somewhere was scheduling KOR every meeting. And if you could find an anime club in the late 80s and early 90s, I would have fucking gone. Yeah, usually probably have to be a college late student. Late 80s, early 90s, Daryl, that is a pipe dream to find an anime club. <laughs> that is a pipe dream. You had to be in college because college was where people had connections and more where people had the time. You're talking about like the CFO and it's like spinoffs basically. And That's a little early 80s is what I'd say is the real heyday of CFO, but you know, it just had to do with the fact that colleges were the place where VCRs could be attained. Mm. But even later on, like when all my friends at school were watching Dragon Ball Z, and I was the one person who was like, yeah, there's these fights, but what about this glaring problem with the show? This enormous glaring problem that the show goes nowhere and does nothing for long periods of time. That was not something anybody wanted to discuss. Ted, nothing is wrong with you just because you don't like whatever the flavor of the week yeah. is, or I should say, core, because people like to use that word because they're jerks. <laughs> I would go with what Clarissa says. Like what you like, enjoy what you enjoy. Sometimes it's harder to like what you like if you don't have a reliable way of seeing it on your own. Yeah. A lot of people, they're only outlet for seeing this stuff or knowing that stuff is out there is in some sort of community setting. It can be tough when you're watching something and you're the only person there who just doesn't like it. <laughs> mm. But I mean, you have, to, you have to be your own person. I respect someone far more for holding on to their own feelings and opinions on it than just wanting to go with the group for the sake of going with the group. Without getting too much into what we said last week, I think we can leave it at that. Again, let us know what your experiences with this Stitcher thing is, because yes. we haven't really heard too many people uh, saying that. Got another email here. This one is from Sam A., and he writes, uh, Dear AWO, I was re-listening to an episode of your show and I noticed you were talking about how bad the English dub for AKB0048 was. Funnily enough, I ended up receiving this show for review. So I ended up giving the show a quick preview once I got in the mail. And holy heck, you guys were right. It is a very awful dub. I don't know if it's just me, but personally, I don't think that it makes sense for this show to have an English dub in the first place, as isn't the point to watching this show to hear the members of the AKB48 acting in an anime? I guess it has an English dub to appeal to more people, but I just don't see casual watchers of anime ever going out and picking up this show just because it has an English dub, although I could be wrong there. Anyway, that was just me rambling on Thank you for releasing a new episode this month. I'm out of money and I'm bored shitless, so thank you for curing my boredom for now. Cheers, Sam. P.S. Chihaya Furu kicks ass. 
What's the deal with Section 23 and these dubs? I think that... They're all terrible. They're all made as quickly as possible to get the release out as fast as they can. Who are the dubs made for? Are they made for, like, overseas Asian markets that have, like... They must be done because, I mean, making a dub is the most expensive part of any localization. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is studio time, that's actors, that's writers. I don't know what you guys think, but I think that either they have got some sort of deal already with some overseas distributor or something in America that could possibly get it on television. Either that is written up already or they see it as a show that potentially could be. It's just weird because, I mean, that's such a heavy-duty, for-anime-fans-only type of show, Mm. which I am one. I don't see it as something that, oh, introduction to anime, oh, I'm going to pick up this. Maybe, I don't know, Clarissa, I don't know maybe if you know about this, but isn't AKB kind of popular outside of Japan in, like, other parts of Asia? Yeah. Because I know that Animax and there's, like, anime channels in the rest of Asia that they exclusively show English dubs. So maybe that Mm. might be part of the philosophy behind it? Maybe. That's got to be it. It can't be for people here. Everyone has long suspected that the way that they pick what they're licensing is to see what's like the top sellers on Japanese Amazon yeah. and saying, okay, well, we're going to license that and then get it out there as quickly as we can. And if there's an Animax or something deal involved in that, then that's like the sooner it can be turned around and showed elsewhere throughout Southeast Asia, such that it doesn't really matter. Maybe if not that many people buy it here. I don't know. Whatever they've got, it's working for them because they're still in it business. It might be because I know that Animax, they did a dub of Gakuin Alice, that show that Bright Stuff released, subtitled only, and they also did a dub of Maria's Watching Over Us, and those were only seen in Asia, done in English too, and uh, I mean, pretty average dubs, I understand. I remember when we were talking years ago about Genion doing some weird dubs for shows like Zapang yes. and uh, I think Fantastic Children and some of those other things where they were sort of experimenting with making English dubs that were produced outside of like native English-speaking countries. Like, If I remember correctly, those were done in Singapore or there was the rumor... Singapore or Hong Kong or something like that because it just sounded weird. The rumor was that it was done in Singapore because Singapore is you know, it's an Asian country. The main language is English. And so people there are native English speakers. And don't have to be paid as much as even the meager pay that English dub actors get in the United States or Canada. Maybe. I I mean, I think maybe Singapore is where the Animax does its dubs. I could be wrong, though. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. The next step is that, you know, the outsourcing of anime dubs. First, they came outsourced to Canada. Now, you know, Singapore. Once we get, like, Indian tech support doing our anime dubs, (laughs) then we'll know. (laughs) That my hunch was correct. We're kind of flying through these emails. Another one here. This one is... (laughs) From the aptly named, I wonder, this might be a code. Fangirl801. Hmm. <laughs> Not sure what those numbers may signify. I think we might have an idea what this email might be related to then. This might be your territory, Clarissa. Actually, it is not. It is totally not related to the username. Hi, Anime World Order. I don't remember if I've mailed you before or not, but either way, you guys are amazing. Since very few podcasts seem to be releasing new episodes recently, yes, that includes y'all, I decided to start re-listening to all your podcasts from the very beginning. In show number 20, The Karis Review, you used clips from Karis's recording from Thief to the Metal Age, as well as including quotes from it in your show notes. In show number 23, 
Daryl's the truth. He mentioned the Maw of Chaos and the Hammerite Order. So I ask, what is your relation to and opinion of the Thief trilogy? Also the new one, the so-called Thief 4. For me, I was two years old when Thief the Dark Project was released. <laughs> so I grew up with this shadowy wonder. It made me into who I am today, perhaps even more so than most anime has. In more recent things, have you heard of the new Legend of the Galactic Heroes series? Do you think that if it is made, there is a chance it will be released in the U.S. and maybe even the old series as well? Also, please, please, please finish your JoJo's Bizarre Adventure reviews. Since the new Stardust Crusaders anime is starting next month, as in next next week now, yeah. this is the perfect time for it. Because it'll most likely get loads of new fans who will be interested in hearing your spectacular review of it. Thanks. Keep doing what you're doing. Maybe a little more often. Uh, Natalia. So I guess first things first, the new Legend of the Galactic Hero series. Most pointless anime series necessary or what? Like, what are we hoping to achieve by doing a new Legend of the Galactic Heroes that appears to be covering the same ground as the original? I have no idea. Maybe they need newer modern animation for it. Didn't they already reanimate chunks of it some years ago? It looked very out of place with the rest of the old animation, but yes, they did. The condition of the original materials wasn't really in good enough shape to warrant a DVD transfer or something to that effect. More mm. LOGH is fine. I think that Crunchyroll will try to get it because they try to get everything. Regardless, I mean, Hajime no Ippo shows that doesn't matter if it's a sequel series, they just want it. Right. And yeah, I, the more people that can check that out, the better. Maybe there's a remote chance that they'll check out the original series. I love the original series, even though it is one of the driest shows ever created. Yeah. Do you think they could speed it up? What could they do to that show that a remake could maybe add something or correct like a flaw, perhaps, of the original production, if there is such a thing in your mind? I'm going to speak what Clarissa's thinking. <laughs> Have more skin-tight suits and men showering. <laughs> yeah, I'd sign up for that. <laughs> all right. Then all the shower scenes of, like, our Marcats or Steinmetz or the guys with beards. <laughs> Get all the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings people who are into into Carl Gustav dwarfs. Kemp in the buff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It is strange that they're doing it. I don't really know what the kind of idea of it is. I hope it's good, certainly. Mm. But I'm trying to figure out if they could do something to make it a little bit more dynamic without changing it into too much of like an action show. But I feel like there's a balance. Like You could still maybe get a lot of the conversation, political content and everything, but still maybe make it a little less visually dry. Yeah, I mean, it was directed by Noboru Ishiguro. He's dead now, unfortunately. Mm. His kind of style was dry at times. Yeah, very static yeah. in terms of a lot of the direction. We've seen in other shows that there are ways to make standing there talking a little more visually interesting mm -hmm. to look at if you do some uh, editing and camera yeah. tricks while things are going maybe on. Maybe some more character animation. Maybe make it a bit more expressive and maybe... I think you could reasonably condense the show down a bit and not lose right. the essentials. Yeah, but speaking of people being dead, I'm a little concerned because of some of the voice cast. I mean, yes. yeah, they'll have to recast Yang and, you know, Oberstein and down the Oof. line, you're going to have to recast quite a few people. Yeah. The narrator <laughs> is, no, Yaru Yusaku's still alive. 
Marikatz is not. Goro Naya, is it? Rubinsky is uh, Jigen from Lupin, Kiyoshi Kobayashi. Rumor is the next Lupin the Third movie is probably going to be his last one. And I'm looking forward to that because it's continuation of the woman called Fujiko Mine, and it's directed by Takeshi Koike this time, who last did Redline. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. But I think the JoJo's anime on the subject of that is sort of the opposite issue of Legend of Galactic Heroes because the Stardust Crusaders anime is going to be like, okay, the original anime that we did had to cut out a lot. And now this time we're going to put it back in. Certainly there's going to be advantages and disadvantages to both because the style in which the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure anime is being done is this sort of motion comics, like manga and movement. There appears to be some more moving happening in the trailer that they put up i have no idea if they can sustain that for 26 episodes yeah i I would like to see the show get more money so they could do more character animation because the character animation in those oavs those old ones is gorgeous i mean there is so much movement and Mm -hmm. so much going on even the scenes where they have like the bet with the guy dropping the coins into the water like so if we could get like the more like accurate better design sense from the current series with the better animation quality of the initial OAVs, not those early digital right. <laughs> era ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's sort of the trade-off, though, is that, you know, you have to simplify character design to get more fluid animation. Yeah. Well, it's not even so much simplification, but there's something about the way that the characters look in the OAVs. It's not even so much simplification, but I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Everybody's really blocky in a way that they aren't quite in Araki's artwork, even back at that point. They were almost looking like JoJo's 1 while they were in JoJo's 3. Well, yeah, the thing is, is that who was the character designed for the original? Was it like Junichi Hayama or Junichi something? Hmm. I'm actually going to cheat and look it up. Uh, yes, it is Junichi Hayama. Junichi Hayama was a guy who mostly made a lot of his career doing a lot of like the more modern, like when I say modern, I mean modern for like the 90s, the redrawing of like Fist of the North mm-hmm. Star art. Mm. And so since JoJo's, especially up through part three, was still in that Tatsuohara derivative art phase, he was kind of like, okay, I know how to do this. Mm. And so he kind of applied his what he did to modernize Fist of the North Star's art to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure designs. And since it was still kind of similar, it didn't really seem too different. Now that we are decades later and they're sort of going back and accentuating what Araki did that was unique Mm -hmm. to that. That's part of why things look a little more what we'll call close in the current anime to what's in the comic. What I should say is what's on the comic covers. Uh, Right. I'm very interested to see Stardust Crusaders because if you watch the OAVs, it's extremely jarring because it just starts. Well, if you watch the original ones. In the production order. Right. In the production order. Yeah, it just kind of starts. It's almost weird that they decided to do that. Yeah. I didn't even know that there was JoJo's stuff prior or after when I first watched right. that. And that's why when I first saw it, I thought, like, this like, sucks. Like, no, no introduction, no nothing. <laughs> they're just in the desert and they're in trouble. Right. <laughs> and they have stands. Yeah. yeah. Where do stands come from? Doesn't matter. Nope. So yeah. speaking of which, the million dollar question, Vento Aureo, when? Yeah. See, I love Stardust Crusaders, and I'm definitely excited to see it, but at the same time, I'm more excited to see the things that haven't been animated. I was referring to when are we going to review part five? Oh, uh, yeah, well, now I might actually have time to sit down and, and reread it. It's what, 15 volumes long something or something like, like that. that? They just get progressively longer, don't they? Yeah. 
Well, no, no. Stardust Crusaders was longer than... Yeah, I than... think so. Was it? Okay. I feel like Stardust Crusaders was like 28 volumes long yeah. or some like kind of huh. large number. No wonder that didn't work out in America. Right. God. I think that's the longest segment. I could be wrong about that. Now I'm going to cheat again. I'm pretty sure it is because I think it's on my shelf and yeah, it's like 20-something. Stardust Crusaders was 14 volumes. That's a good chunk. Oh, no, that's right. They number them continuously. They don't restart numbering them, so that's why it's like 20 something at the end diamond is unbreakable that is is about 18 volumes if i'm reading this right that was part four okay yeah we did that one so the next one is part five i can't wait to see that animated sticky finger bruno and getting cut in half just makes you mad and all that good stuff (laughs) it's been on the to-do list for a while we can get to it eventually yeah As for the question that I think probably only I can answer this, I don't know if anyone else has ever played any of the Thief games on this podcast. I have played the original, not a lot of it, but I did play it when it came out. And I remember loving it a lot and thinking, holy crap, the sound design in this is incredible. I I wasn't thinking that detailed when that came out. I was like 12 or 13 or something. But I was thinking like, wow, the sound in this seems really good. I think I watched someone else play through the first first okay. one maybe also the second so nobody else bought the game like on release no. Then, no. other than me okay because yeah i would have been 18 when this came out and uh you would have been two years <laughs> old <laughs> 18 years old i was you know a senior in high school i was you know freshman in college thief the dark project was like one of my like main gaming sort of memories thief 2 i liked even more so you know it's the kind of thing where it was Prior to that, I was big into like Origin stuff, like Wing Commander and stuff like that. Then there's also Deus Ex that came out around that Mm -hmm. same time. And there's sort of like this slight thread interconnecting all these things developer wise or, you know, influence wise. And so, yeah, a lot of those references in the early ones were just because I had like extensive knowledge of, you know, that lore of that world. The third game came out in early, I think, 2000s or late 1990s. It was several years later, different team. The writing was still the same writers. Like you could tell, like they either had it blocked out. The gameplay was certainly simplified very much for the console era, but it was still okay. I mean, it was just, you could see the differences. At the time, I was like, man, they kind of stripped down the gameplay of this quite a bit compared to what the previous ones were except the story's still good i have almost beaten the new one which i paid seven dollars for <laughs> so for seven dollars is it worth it i would say tentatively worth it for seven dollars i mean i can actually see from this person's google plus icon that she does in fact have the keeper insignia as her icon which is you know a faction in the original thief games she means what she says when she says like this influenced her maybe even more so than most anime did i'm not sure how much of the 801 can really fit into thief there's not a whole lot of that (laughs) yeah but the new game i feel like it's made by people who maybe never played the original two and maybe only played the xbox one and maybe watched like a youtube version of somebody playing them maybe because i feel in a lot of ways they kind of miss the point Mm. a lot of ways they're trying to modernize it for a modern era looking at like what is big now things like dishonored things like assassin's creed trying to work that in would you say it's kind of the same problem that you were talking about with the recent max Payne game 
My main problem with the recent Max Payne game is the writing only. I think the gameplay mechanics of Max Payne 3 were just as okay. good as they'd always been. I would agree there. Just the person who wrote it didn't quite understand the tone that Sam Lake had sort of set in the previous two games. It's sort of like how to break it up. Okay, but this new thief isn't just the writing, it's also the gameplay. Yeah, yeah. I have to come out and say the writing is pretty atrocious in the new thief. The gameplay is almost good, and that's kind of like the most frustrating mm. sort of thing because thief is a game that is fundamentally about staying hidden it's a stealth game it's one of the pioneers of the stealth genre the people who made it they didn't have a metal gear solid to play or anything like that they instead did things like watch the castle of cagliostro the loop on the third anime that discotech has just announced is going to be released on blu-ray here in the u.s very nice with the original opening and a commentary track and everything. Both dubs, commentary track by Reed Nelson from loopontheird.com. Just go you're hitting it out of the park. Oh yeah, they're doing yeah. real good. They're even convincing me to buy somewhat substandard Loop on the Third specials because I am totally going to get Buy by Liberty Crisis because the internet's Mike Tool did the commentary track for that. <laughs> hey, we're local. Why don't we do a commentary track? For I them? think it's because we have to prove that we can do a commentary track. <laughs> <laughs> they know better. Yeah. My idea of like doing commentary track is I'd have to like look up all the animators and figure out like who, who did the scene on what scene. That, that's tough. That's the kind of level of commentary that I'd want to be able to provide. We can't all be Bay Logan, I suppose. So. Yeah, we can't all be Bay Logan. We can't all be Ben Ettinger. But I believe that's what Mike accomplished for his Bye Bye Liberty track. I haven't listened to it uh. yet. He probably went and did some serious legwork on that one. Anyway, I got a little off track, but the thing is Thief is fundamentally about a stealth game where you remain hidden by using a light and shadow and relying on sound to ascertain the location of enemies and how alert they are and such. And the fundamental problem with Thief 4, this current one, is that the fucking light engine doesn't work and the fucking sound engine is busted. You don't really know how you're going to locate people based on sound because you can hear something coming through your speakers that sounds like a guy is right next to you. But then when you go and look around, oh no, he's actually outside the street, separated by me and a giant wall, and he's far away. That's Or if you're hidden in shadows and it's like your HUD shows you're in complete darkness and a guy spots you. In previous games, you were effectively completely invisible. It's a total crapshoot. There's a lot of UI stuff that just annoys the shit out of me about it. Plus, the writing is bad on it, and there's no patch that'll fix that. But like graphically and in terms of like conveying the weight of like a person in the world, they did a very good job. You're not just a floating head. You can always look down and see your feet and you, you have awareness of your hands and like what you're doing. The art department did good. The character design department should be shot because it appears <laughs> that your main character, it appears that he went through multiple different character design revisions and they decided to settle the argument internally that they just have him wear all three outfits at the same time. <laughs> It's ridiculous. When I look at the promotional art for the Elder Scrolls Online, I'm like, wow, that's a better Garrett character design than the one that's in this game. But I will probably write up a full like review on my Steam profile once I'm done with that game to sort of lay out why that thing doesn't work. But yeah, I was big into Thief games. It is uh, certainly something that came along at a time that was sort of like a... You know, I'd been playing games certainly for the better part of 14, 15 years at that point, but it is a high watermark for me. And so this new one wounds me a little bit more than it might some other people. Mm. But you, you do what you can, I guess. 
weren't there problems with this game? Like, weren't we hearing about this for years that they were? Oh, yeah. We were hearing about it. Not every single bit of, like, interviews or publicity, it's just like, okay, this is going to be a wreck. The reason I was able to buy the game for $7 was because AMD struck a deal with the publisher. They said, okay, we'll bundle it free with our cards. Well, I'm going to date this podcast. This podcast is coming out in March 2014. Slightly before that, there was this big mania in this thing called cryptocurrency. <laughs> these, uh, this fake wacko pirate money that internet libertarians came up with. Largely they, because they want they to... sick of the man. They want to buy drugs. Yeah, they want to buy drugs and fleshlights <laughs> and various other things like that. They came up with currency that uh, wasn't backed by any sort of government. It's not fiat currency. It's not regulated or anything, so it doesn't have any of right. the problems with that or any of the benefits. Says people quickly found out after repeated theft and theft and theft. And also, for the record, if you leave a comment or send us an email talking about cryptocurrency, I'll delete that shit. I will ignore you. So to make a long story short, these people found out that AMD video cards were particularly good at doing the calculations necessary to generate this money. And so people bought up all the stocks of these AMD cards. And once you buy one and you have the card that has, oh, you get your whatever free games, you redeem the first one. But when you buy the next 10 cards, now you have 10 free sets of codes to give out. So they'd throw them on eBay for pennies. And so that's how I bought it. So anyway, that answers that question. Uh, I know that's is far more video game related discussion than we've ever really allowed on this podcast, but I think I just needed to do it because as far as anime is concerned, video game anime is usually the worst anime. Are we all in agreement? So you're talking about anime based on video games or video games based on the anime? Anime that is based on prior video games. Things like Art of Fighting, things like Gao Kaiser, yes. that sort of stuff. That is like, you know, whenever the discussion about bad anime comes up, then fighting game anime is like the particular tier of hell. Yeah, I think that the only one that I think is any good is the Street Fighter movie. And, I mean, that's not yeah. a fine movie. That's just a movie that hits all of my buttons. Right. What about visual novels, guys? Yeah, visual novels are games, right? No, um... I always feel that those are really just a way to sort of show off how super otaku cred you are because they're always sort of designed for people who are already familiar with the visual novel such that whatever they emit, you're criticized for not knowing by other fans. Like, oh, well, you should have read the visual novel for that. Clarissa, you've seen, I think, more visual novel-based anime than we have. Like, was Fate Zero a visual novel, or was that... Fate Zero was a light novel. Oh, light... Okay, never yeah. mind, then. That's my mistake, but... Yeah. We saw Higurashi, which... Well, I know you guys are looking forward to dramatical murder. I am, indeed. And that is totally a visual novel porno game. <laughs> Dude porno this time, Yes, for once. written by Gen Urobuchi, the guy who wrote right. Madoka and... Fate Zero. So yeah, everyone's going to watch that because it's going to be like the typical visual novel adaptation. Like we're going to take all the sex scenes out and keep the compelling story in. Which is mostly people sitting around and talking. Well, that's what people want out of their BL stories, though, is dudes standing there giving speeches. I am super glad that anime fans actually think about and are recognizing a writer. A writer that is working on anime. Mm -hmm. I just wish it weren't Gen Urobuchi. <laughs> well, I like Urobuchi stuff, but yeah. He's hit or miss, I think. I th yeah. I can't think of a thing I've liked from him. Well, how much of his stuff have you watched? Uh, I've watched Madoka Magica. I've watched at least... Magica, Gerald. It's pronounced Magica. Magica. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot you're a heathen. Mm. 
Don't like dokes. The doke or dokes, yeah. It's not the, the dokes, even though I think the dokes is funnier than just dokes. But I prefer the dokes. That's right. It's because it reminds me of the Billings. But I do know a lot of people are also recognizing Mario Kata as a writer mm. of things. I tend to like her stuff a little more, even though I can see why people would not. Mm. Incidentally, some uh, new anime that came out. I watched a couple movies. The first movie that I did check out was, in fact, the CG space pirate Captain Harlock, directed by Shinji Aramaki. Oh. <laughs> right when we, we saw this thing, there was immediate reaction from the people in the comments. Tim Eldred said, like, okay, I can tell you guys are, you know, about to trash this. And so he sort of posted a thing in defense of it. I will say that Tim Eldred has defended some things based on having seen raw <laughs> versions of them in a theater and saying, well, it looks pretty cool. Didn't Tim Eldred defend Cyborg 009? 009 re-Cyborg, yes. Yeah, I believe that was another Tim Eldred said the movie was good. Special. I love you, Tim. You have the dream job. I, 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 I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember it. <laughs> it's going to be like the Sicilian mob like four years later, like AWA one year. Just going to get stabbed in the back with a pencil that's run through like a poster of Resyberg no, 09. Be, you're going to be like hit in the head with like a Pepsi next. <laughs> then uh, Dave Merrill said he saw it and he said, well, you know, it's definitely a Captain Harlock movie. Steve Harrison saw it and he's like, please never make one of these again. I'm actually of the opinion that everybody is right. It is definitely a Captain Harlock movie. It is definitely a Shinji Aramaki 3D CG movie for all the strengths and all the weaknesses that both of those things entail. What strengths are there of a Shinji Aramaki CG movie? <laughs> because the only other things I can think of... Wait, did he do Appleseed? Yep, Appleseed. Suck Appleseed that. What, 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 what positives? What things have he got going for him? Those Appleseed movies were horrible. In fact, the only people that support those are Dave Riley because he has a thing for short-haired girls. That's it. <laughs> I don't think the movies are that bad, but that said, your favorite movie, Starship Troopers Invasion, I also thought at least had, like, a couple good scenes in it, particularly the guy who thought it would be a good idea to fight the bugs hand-to-hand. -hand. That guy's my hero, even though he was summarily killed. But there you go. Captain Harlock, the thing is, there's been so much shitty Captain Harlock that it's so easy to forget how much that there was ever bad. any good Captain Harlock? <laughs> there, there's been a lot of just bad anime with Captain Harlock in it. Uh, things with horrendous animation. Like, do you remember a show from the early 2000s, maybe late 90s? It was called Cosmo Warrior Zero. I do remember that. In fact, I think I have the bust of that version of Captain Harlock. That version of Harlock, because I, yeah. I did like the look of Harlock in that. Oh, yeah. The, the character designs were great. The animation is like... Worse than Gondo Musashi, worse than the violinist <laughs> of Hamlin TV. I'm talking they took like a paper cutout and held it in front of the thing and wiggled it around to show that there was movement <laughs> kind of show. And that was like a thing that I think was probably based on like a pachinko slot machine or something. They're always based on pachinko slot machines, right? But no, I would say in terms of mood, in terms of story of like getting some of these characters right, I would say, yeah, that Captain Harlock movie was pretty much on the mark. I think in terms of the action sequences and the framing, Shinji Aramaki really hasn't learned his lessons of like what went right and what went wrong in like that style of action that he does where things like the CG things don't seem to have sufficient weight, that sort of thing. That is my big problem with CG in Japan is the stuff just doesn't have, they don't think about animation when they animate. My main thing and this is sort of a hit or miss thing with me is the style of character designs they use it's like they're trying 
to be the sort of photorealistic CG, but they're still trying to sort of meld that with the Leiji Matsumoto character designs from the 1970s. And so you get like that Final Fantasy of the Spirits Within sort of look. Well, that was like Uncanny Valley area. That's what I'm saying, is that that's kind of what we're dealing with in this new Captain Harlock as well. That is a factor at times, and at times you think, oh, it looks kind of cool. Certainly, Japan has advanced a lot further along in animating mecha and explosions with 3D CG than I think they have with characters. I can't say it's the worst Captain Harlock animation I've ever seen on a technical level or on a writing level or anything. There's just so much garbage out there that's been made a lot of forgettable oavs i thought ring saga was like harlock saga was just brutal i know some people will defend that like did you ever watch that cpm released i think like a, some i never of got it. around I to I, it yeah no neither did i it was like let's retell the ring saga like right the wagner right the yeah. wagner opera in using captain harlock what about that western that came out gun frontier that yeah. was actually pretty okay yeah it's just that again early 90s digital animation and i still have a uh, queen emeraldus that we only got half of adv did us a favor on that because the other half were just terrible <laughs> and that wasn't even that good like what we it got it wasn't that great either and it was from a time where the cg wasn't quite there yet it's still a very playstation one cutscene to see her ship in space and what have you but that is still like not the worst captain harlock I don't remember if he showed up in DNA Sites 999.9. I think he shows up like just at the end, because Harlock tends to do that. So, so let me just throw this out there. What is the best Captain Harlock that's been done since my youth in Arcadia? So, the cheap answer is <laughs> SSX. Okay. I think they only finally finished the complete fan sub of that. That is one show in 30, over 30 years of various Captain Harlock things being done. I know, like, a lot of it was just, like, okay. Like, I remember Genion released Endless Odyssey, and they had to call him Captain Herlock. Mm. That one was actually pretty okay, because that was also like Rintaro coming back, but it was still kind of hamstrung by that early 2000s digital animation, and also the translation kind of sucked on it. There was a lot of like things like the translator, who's usually pretty good, I think um, Rika Takahashi mm. did the translations, and she, I remember she did like the Ray Earth fan subs or whatever back in the day, and then they hired her to do the official one, and you know, she was like a fan who kind of came up, but she didn't know the Captain Harlock stuff, and there's a lot of like scientific terms, that's real hard to translate, and so like so a lot of that stuff got missed. Now, the one thing, when I think of Captain Harlock is mood and character, because typically how Captain Harlock Harlock works is it's a lot of like slow, quiet scenes that build up to an action scene or two through the course of the movie or a couple of episodes or something. It's a very sort of atmospheric series. Mm -hmm. Do you think the movie accomplishes at least that idea of Captain Harlock? You were saying that they accomplish it on, on the character and... Yeah, I think that it actually does pull it off as far as that. You know, you get, like, the big space opera battle with, you know, all that stuff, and then you get, like, some of the scenes, like, they put this in the trailer of, like, them sort of getting into those Bioshock steampunkish looking outfits oh, right. and sort of redoing like some of the choreography from the starship troopers thing that's not like laden throughout but yeah I, I would say that you kind of get some backstory as far as like this captain harlock i can't say because there's no continuity you right. know what i mean so i mean uh you know in this one we can kind of see like 
you know, hey, Captain Harlock, give us like reason of what the fuck you're doing this stuff for, as opposed to this week, I'm going to fly around and blow up something important and get drunk again. (laughs) (laughs) So in that sense, I think, you know, it's fine. I mean, I think it's one of those things where if you can kind of accept the animation and the weird (laughs) kind of floaty sort of motion, I think it's actually okay. But again, I can't like fall on recommend it. And I can't fall on say it sucks. This seems like the perfect type of movie that whatever the problem is, if that is a deal breaker, that is a big deal breaker for you. I can I can totally agree with you on that. And that actually brings me to the uh, the other thing that I watched because I mean I don't really have like I can't call this a full review of either of these things. They're just things that I saw. But uh, we were talking about video games and video game anime and how those are sort of like the worst sort of things. And like Captain Harlock, this new CG one, does remind you of like that sort of Final Fantasy 13 cutscene sort of video game. But uh, there was another video game anime that came out. The Studio Gonzo Motion Picture Events of the Year. Oh, boy. And I totally watched this because it did come out. The Bayonetta movie. I have that uh, downloaded. Bloody Fate. Uh, it came out last month on video. Really should have come out here. <laughs> no one has licensed this movie or anything like that. For those who don't know, Bayonetta was a video game from 2009. Probably the best game of that year. Directed by Hideki Kamiya, the guy who made the original Devil May Cry and Devil May Cry 3, Beautiful Joe, that sort of stuff. I guess uh, his latest game is uh, The Wonderful 101 for the Wii U. He seems to specialize, uh, like uh, Devil May Cry aside, he seems to make great games that nobody buys or wants to play. Bayonetta is one of the few games by Platinum that actually sold well, relatively well anyway. The term people use for it, a lot of times you'll hear people say it's a stylish action or character action. I prefer the term third-person action game that isn't shit, because... (laughs) (laughs) We have any number of these third-person melee action combat games where the combat system is very simplified and stripped down, like press square repeatedly or square, 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 and that's all you really need. Castlevania games, God of War, that sort of thing, where all the cool stuff you do is in like the quick time events and what have you. Bayonetta and its ilk is sort of like designed to be like, you do most of the stuff that you see in the cutscenes, you can do that in the game. The combat system is a little more involved. Each weapon has a different purpose. Each enemy behaves differently. So it's what you have to do to win is different. Right. It's fair. Like when you lose, it's your fault. Everything, whenever it's about to attack, will give some sort of clear audio and animation like signal to let you know to employ some sort of dodge or parry or whatever avoidance mechanic. Yeah, when I look back on like really great action games, I always think of that one. Even today, I can't think of too many like it that are like heavily combo based that, that were that much better than that. But also right. it, it had like a very sort of kind of twisted nature to it. The character was very interesting. And that's why when they were announced this anime of it, half of me was really excited because the action was so well done that if this could anyway, anyway translate to the anime, like it could be great. But it's also by Gonzo. Right. Gonzo is famously a studio whom we've been trashing many a times over the years, generally with complete and total justification. In their heyday, about a decade ago, their sort of speciality was releasing lots and lots of shows a year. 
gorgeous first episode. Beautiful. A lot of them had very strong conceptual premises. Usually were very impressive initially out the gate. Trouble is that after about three episodes, there would be like noticeable drops in quality in the animation and the writing, and they all sort of petered out. Gonzo was sort of like notorious for this in our mind. They filed for bankruptcy a little while ago. That happened, and then they sort of reorganized, I guess laid off a bunch of people, came back. Then they focused, in recent years, far fewer things. They tried to do some movies, and they didn't really come out so great. The main sort of claim to fame as far as the staff for Bayonetta on this is that they had previously all worked on Afro Samurai and Afro Samurai Resurrection. The guy who directed this is Fuminori Kizaki, and he is the same guy who was the sort of main guy, like director storyboarder Afro Samurai in the sequel, an animation director and all that. He's mainly a key animator by trade turned director. That has me so split too. Say what you will about Afro Samurai, but it was something that had uh, very well animated action scenes. There are some issues I had with Afro Samurai's action scenes, but I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But the thing is, is these people could conceivably do a pretty okay Bayonetta anime. Conceptually, what Bayonetta Bloody Fate is, is, okay, let's retell the entirety of the first game effectively in 90 minutes. And so obviously, whenever you do a video game to anime adaptation, you have to sort of understand what to do and what to cut out. That's always a challenge. Like, you can't just follow the full plot of a game full on, but you also can't change it until it's unrecognizable. The Bayonetta game was like the tagline for it in marketing was nonstop climax action. You're just <laughs> constantly fighting shit and killing some shit. And then when there was a cutscene, your character would be like very impatient and like posing and being like, get on or that I want to keep shooting things to sort of like be a stand in for the average gamer, I guess. You can't have that in your anime. I feel like this is something that if it was not an adaptation of a previously existing thing which I'd seen, I'd be like absolutely ecstatic over this thing. But as it is, it's like just like any time when you read a book and then you see the movie and you think like, oh, they changed this or oh, it was like this originally. That's how I'm watching this movie. And so I feel like it's brought down a couple notches because of that. Remember like in the 90s, all those OAVs would come out in the U.S.? They were all like adaptations of some manga. And no one had any clue what this was about. No one had any clue what it was or where it came from or what happened next. They were just kind of things that were like a little one hour thing meant to promote something and it would be like crazy as shit and then be over. This is kind of like the most 90s thing I've seen in a while in that sense, other than the fact that it has a beginning and an ending and it sort of wraps everything up. But in terms of there's a lot of shit that doesn't get explained but there's also a lot of shit that is like really ridiculous that if you had played the game, you'd be like, oh, that's either more ridiculous in the game or they changed this and took this and this, put it together and put that for the scene. And so watching this now must have been how the people in Japan must have watched all those 90s OAVs that were completely foreign to us back when we were first discovering anime. Yeah. The problem with Gonzo, a lot of our concerns are fully justified. We've long been talking about there's a problem in the anime industry, like the best and the brightest work in video games and the people who, for whatever reason, can't hack it work in anime. There is some of that 
in this movie. The way it starts off, like, how did the original Bayonetta game start? You remember this, Gerald? The very first scene wasn't them falling off Opening a, prologue. The opening prologue was them falling off a cliff, and they were, like, being blown apart on a church, if I remember. That's correct. It was really well directed, too, because it starts off with a zoom in on the main character's face, and then it pans around them, and then it zooms back to realize this person is standing on a piece of stone, that's falling in the air and then the camera pulls again to reveals that the piece of stone is upside down such that you're actually floating in midair. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting bit of direction and cinematography and then just immediately start fighting and doing all sorts of impossible feats. This anime doesn't instill that level of confidence from the way it opens. It opens with two and a half minutes of still shots and narration. Oh, Ugh. I hate that. And I was like, Jesus Christ, what did you guys do? This is like the most lazy sort of anime way of starting things. Things, like the stained that's like a cheap video game cutscene style. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's like stained glass window style sills and like two and a half minutes of explaining the story and they effectively explain the entire story of the game that you eventually find out at the end they basically tell you the whole thing up front and then say okay now we're going to show you this that's one way to get around plugging any holes in your plot it's to say that way but then the other thing you see first is they try to sort of integrate the 3d cg backgrounds it's like okay this doesn't look right Mm. it takes a little while to get going the similar scene of how like the original game starts where the main character is dressed as a nun and she does a prayer and the angels show up and then suddenly she starts murdering them that scene does happen but the directing is the difference here one thing that you really sort of pay attention to in that video game you can really appreciate two people for uh hideki kamiya and another guy by the name of yuji shimamura oh yeah the fight choreography guy who did like devil may cry 3 and a lot of these live action films like versus and the warrior's way and um some tv stuff alien versus ninja the greatest movie ever made <laughs> he is a really inventive His guy. stuff is amazing yeah. I can still show just the cutscenes from like Devil May Cry 3 especially. Holy crap, those are some of the best fight scenes done in the 2000s. Movies, video games, anything. Those are some right. of the best fight scenes I've ever seen, period. Very stylish and there's really only one. Yeah, of stuff them. is real distinctive. Like there's yes. a, a very specific kind of style over the top sensibility it's a very sort of sharp fast a lot of people write it off as like when they say oh that's too anime or whatever Mm. it's because it's very crazy they think like that yuji shimamura choreography the choreography in bayonetta the anime bloody fate it's not as crazy as that it's much more conventional in its camera angles and its framing it's like fires a gunshot and then a snap cut to like things getting hit a quick zoom of the kicks or what have you It's still conveying the similar sort of thing, but some of the craziness of the moves, like one of the moves in the beginning of the game is like she shoves each of the angels into each other and they all sort of ram into each other. And then she ends up giving all of them like this German suplex, like a (laughs) stack of like 12 of them. There's not that level of crazy inventiveness to the moves in this anime. Yeah, I feel like an adaptation of Bayonetta is something that like they should have gotten 
like Imaishi or yeah, yeah, they, 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 they should have gotten like someone totally out there for Fuminori Kizaki. I mean, he did Afro Samurai, and there is some inventive stuff in that. But it, especially in the first Afro Samurai, how many times can you see? Okay, they fired a bullet at him, and now he's going to draw his sword and cut the bullet in half. Right. And they're going to kind of show it in a very similar way each time, mm. and then he kills a guy. And it's not a bad choice. I didn't like Afro Samurai, but I can see how he could do a good Bayonetta. Right. I'm a pretty big fan of Bayonetta. I've got like the art books for like the Eyes of Bayonetta art book. Yeah. I've got like uh, the other Bayonetta strategy guide that was released in hardcover. And I've seen like some of the real super fans who've translated all the fictional scripts into English <laughs> in the game and done the research on like every single rune and incantation. And it's all there. That level of complexity in the designs is there in this world of Bayonetta. A lot of that stuff Fortunately, it is carried over into this, but it's easy for them to do. They can just take the models that are already there and sort of drop them into this anime and, and call it a day. One thing I'll notice, like as a super nerd fan, Bayonetta has really specific guns. And in the beginning of this anime, she doesn't have the same guns. And you're like, oh, what the hell's the deal with that? She doesn't have Scarborough Fair? She does not have Scarborough Fair. This she is how big a nerd Daryl and I are. We know the names of her guns. Yeah, well, and the names of the individual guns are, are Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme. Excuse me, I believe that's Time, Daryl. <laughs> time, that's right. I just didn't want to pronounce it in such a way that people would think it's Time. You didn't mention clock. that she shoots with her feet as well. Yeah, she has two pistols in her hands and two pistols magically bolted onto her feet, which somehow also fire because of magic. So she can do like spins with her legs and she shoots them. Bayonetta is a witch, basically, who has magical powers which manifest themselves in killing angels and the like. That's basically the premise. But the guns that she has are called Elfin Knight. And I was like, where the hell did they get these fucking things from? Because they don't look nearly as cool as Scarborough Fair. And then I looked through the art book and they're actually early concept illustrations for her guns that weren't used. Hmm. They were ones that were designed early, they didn't use them, and in the game, she starts off with regular guns that break and are crappy, and then she gets Scarborough Fair later. Okay. In this one, that also happens. She just starts with these guns instead and gets Scarborough Fair much later. That's one of the little changes. It does follow the same basic story going to this country because the resurrection of the creator is coming, and, you know, of course, there's a corrupt religious institution that has their own nation and what have you. And so she goes over there to wreak havoc on the place. But some of the stuff is never explained ever. And just assume that you can infer this visually, but there are sort of three different dimensions in Bayonetta. Like there's Paradiso, Inferno, and uh, what limbo or what have you. I can't remember yeah. the normal one, but basically people in the real world can't perceive that these angels exist. They can just perceive that things are exploding for no reason. That certainly factors into this, like surprising the hell out of people. It's just never explained, like even in simple terms. And so you just are assumed, okay, that's either not a relevant detail or you can sort of pick up on it. This is like the first time that Bayonetta is in Japanese. Yeah, because the, it was released in English dubbed. I mean, the dub was fantastic. Yeah. They got this one lady. She went uncredited as the voice of Bayonetta and she was amazing. And so for the Japanese one, they actually went and sort of did like cast 
sound alike kind of people huh. like who could do like a good job and in so doing they got really famous voice actors to be everybody so hmm. if you're like a seiyu nerd this is actually a really cool anime for you to watch atsuko tanaka is bayonetta oh cool she's kusanagi in ghost in the shell yeah. she would be good actually and she does a really good job norio wakamoto yes. is uh balder yeah and so they're like, okay, this is a character who is kind of just there at the end of Bayonetta, but we got Norio Wakamoto. We <laughs> got to put Balder throughout this whole thing. Right. And so that's basically what they do. Uh, Tesha Gendo is Rodan, and he's always mm. like, you know, the big heavy dude. Mm -hmm. Whenever you need like a big badass guy in your anime, to you make get Tesha incoherent Gendo. growling noises. <laughs> that's right. Well, he was also the ultimate narrator because he was the miscritical moment. Oh, right, right. Let us never <laughs> yes. forget get that one Tesha Gendo and so yeah he's spot on as Rodan Saraita, you know they got a lady who's actually kind of famous right now Miyuki Sawashiro mm. she's in like a lot of like those Moe things we just talked about AKB 0048 mm -hmm. she was Achan like the ultimate uh, AKB 0048 member she was um in all the Digi Charats she was mm -hmm. uh, the little one okay Puchiko so you know she's Ideally suited to play, you know, this small uh, little girl who's like incredibly tiny compared to everyone. And of course, um, she's the new Fujiko. That's the main thing that she's famous for uh. nowadays. The new voice of Fujiko and Lupin the Third. I forgot who's Luca, but he's also somebody who's well known. I'm going to cheat and look him up. Well, that's a pretty killer voice cast there. Uh, the voice of Luca, who was originally Yuri Lowenthal in the English one, and everyone knows Yuri Lowenthal. He's Sasuke and Naruto and a million other mm -hmm. things. Daisuke Namikawa, and so he oh, is yeah. Rock in Black Lagoon. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, he's great. Every voice actor in this is awesome. So, I mean, even if, you know, you're watching it and you're familiar with the story of Bayonetta, just like the performances people give, I would say that's like a really strong point of the movie. There's one character in the video games who is like comically pointless, a guy named Enzo. He's like He was the New Jersey like mobster guy? Yeah, the, oh, what a day, oh, you know, I'm a New Jersey mobster. <laughs> <laughs> He's only in the beginning, the really, of the game. And the end of the game. Yeah, it doesn't really serve much of a purpose other than to be, this is what Americans are, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, well he's, he's the shitty detective in Case Closed in Detective Conan. And he's also Aoki in Hajime no Ippo. Oh, <laughs> so, I mean, like, uh, he's perfectly suited to that. But I just feel like his presence in this movie, if you have to cut things down to 90 minutes... He really doesn't serve much of a purpose being in this movie. Yeah, why would you even bother to include him? There's not a whole lot of characters in Bayonetta. A lot of the characters in these were enemies. I was kind of annoyed because some of the bosses in Bayonetta were really memorable, like really like striking visual designs. One of them, uh, Fortitude, the cardinal value of Fortitude. Mm -hmm. He just shows up and gives speeches and then never actually fights him. Uh, it must be tough because the boss fights in that game were so enormous that I thought the game ended like two or three times. Oh, yeah. Well, that's how platinum games work. And the yeah. fundamental structure of every platinum game is like you start off doing one thing and then you're quickly introduced to your rival. And then your rival character sort of shows up and antagonizes you throughout. And then you have a really like crazy final duel with the rival mm -hmm. and because and eventually you turn out that you like that rival enough. And then the last boss is someone completely out of left field. And that's how Bayonetta works, that's how Metal Gear Rising works, that's how Wonderful 101 works, down the line. That's one of the strongest points I thought of Bayonetta was her rival, John. 
was right. so cool and such an interesting character. And it's hard to use that formula in a regular movie because you can't easily have like, you know, your final real villain show up suddenly in the end out of nowhere unless you're a 1970s kung fu film. <laughs> Then it feels a bit too much like, I don't know, five-star stories or something, just kind of like introducing things and then... For well, that, then clearly and- the solution would have been to make Enzo the ultimate bad guy. <laughs> <I wish>. <laughs> <laughs> that, damn, that's a good idea. I feel that John gets the short end of the stick in this one because they do sort of put her in a couple extra scenes, mm. but by and large, she doesn't have a whole lot to do. Well, that's a shame. Such that by the way that the finale works out, like the finale still plays out very similar to how it plays out in the game, but it just sort of feels like, and suddenly John is important again <laughs> in this anime. And so I was like, okay, I'll accept it just because I know what happened. And they gave like just the minimum amount to be like, all right, this was like their sort of arc. But it kind of goes from I don't know who you are to you're cool, you're my friend in like only a very short amount of time. I think this is just the problem of when you try to adapt something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of just take like, okay, let's just do like an introduction and a big boss character like up to that point. They did have experience doing other video game anime because they did the unforgettable boardroom saga meeting of the Street Fighter 4 movies. <laughs> that was also Gonzo. Oh, God. Clarissa and I watched that. That was so boring. These same people did this. Actually, though, one thing I will give to their credit, one thing when you look through the staff and see what else these people worked on, a lot of them actually worked on the Marvel X-Men anime that was kind of recent, which was okay and the least crappy of the Marvel anime that's been made to date and it had its moments but again the best episodes of that were down to storyboarding were the ones that Yoshiaki Kawajiri did the storyboards for Mm -hmm. and this one there are moments of excellence in Bayonetta Bloody Fate parts where like the storyboarding the animation quality is like noticeably better but it's not the whole thing and that's kind of like when there are times when there's like we just blatantly took the cg model for this boss character and dropped him into this anime and now since the game runs at 60 frames per second and anime runs shorter we have to cut the frame rate and it looks it it looks like that like Mm. weird tiger and bunny sort of cg that's cg that everybody hates Yeah, that annoys the shit out of me. And then the next scene is something pretty awesome. I'm like, okay, well, where were you guys five minutes ago? But my understanding is this isn't like terribly long. It's only 90 minutes long and it's, it's over and it's not a complete fucking embarrassment, which basically by virtue of that means it's one of the greatest video game anime adaptations of all time. I just watched one of the best video game anime ever. Yeah. Even though it's like a notch or two I mean, the bar has been set so low. (laughs) Yeah, even though I watch it and it's like, okay, well, clearly that final fight with John, which is one of like the most memorable fights in all video games from my mind, Mm -hmm. they had to simplify that because you can't do that full frame animation with the background. So they transplanted it to a more static background. And I'm, I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, they did that for a budgetary reason. If I had never played Bayonetta and seen that, I would have been like, oh, holy shit, this is awesome. It's rough because that fight in Bayonetta is like Kinshiro and Rao level of awesomeness. Right. It's incredibly great. Yeah. The high moment of that. And in this, it's still good. It's just, all right, I've seen like the other things. You know, in fighting game anime, they always have to struggle. Like, we got to get every character from the fighting game. (laughs) 
And then it sucks because it's just like this. Yeah. yeah. Which is something we found out that very interesting article about the Street Fighter movie made a lot of that very clear. The live action Van Damme movie that Capcom actually insisted on a lot of the things that made that movie the notorious piece of garbage mm. that it is. Yeah, they wanted apparently seven characters in it and Capcom said, no, every character is in this movie. <sighs> Why don't you just have seven? And they also insisted that Jean-Claude Van Damme must play Guile. (laughs) All-American Jean-Claude Van Damme from Belgium, who has no attempt of hiding his Belgian accent at any point. Whereas uh, in Bayonetta, they don't have that problem because there isn't that huge a cast. And even in terms of enemies, it's kind of easy to sort of showcase a lot of different enemies that she sort of quickly dispatches. Right. But the real thing that they kind of have to rush through is her weapon set. And they don't go through every single one, but you get like a lot. And I think they do a reasonably good job of like explaining, all right, well, screw it. It's magic, whatever. She just pulls out a chainsaw. (laughs) She just pulls out a sword. We're not even going to explain why she can do these things. It's just suddenly I have a shotgun. Deal with it. That's really the only way you can address that in this sort of cartoon. Yeah. Right. I don't have that much of a problem with it, but it is, all right, we need to use these rocket launchers. How are we going to do it? Okay, we're going to do it the MD Geist way. And that's how how it is. Like, honestly, the way you describe it, I do kind of want to watch it because I am a fan. I walked into it expecting the worst because it's like, oh boy, Studio Gonzo and video game anime. That first two and a half minutes, it's like, oh shit, they don't have the money. Mm. But there are definitely flaws inherent to like the anime versus like video game staff people. And that's the only thing you can really attribute it to. Mm -hmm. Like, The fundamental element of the Bayonetta video game, the key thing that ties everything together of what you're doing and why is ass. Oh, ass. Sorry. (laughs) It's ass, Clarissa. Let's be very clear. Okay. The Bayonetta's got (laughs) badonkadonk. She's got junk in the trunk. She's got that walk animation sachet. Yeah, I think I was too distracted by her weird prey mantis limbs and tiny head. She doesn't have big tits. Right. She's got mega bootay. Yeah. Move aside Kusanagi in episode two of Ghost and Shell Standalone Complex because here comes Bayonetta. <laughs> However, in true anime fashion, they've toned down her butt and given her like really big boobs mm. in place of that. And so a lot of like the gags are like sight gags on her breasts. And it's like, no, Bayonetta is all about ass. And so first and foremost, I believe that the designers of the Bayonetta video game were unable to order not Galacticos and the beer style beef ranchones from the Taco Bell drive through whereas everybody who worked on this anime were most certainly getting the 12-layer burrito from that same secret Taco Bell breast man drive through menu. And so certainly they have to include a scene, you know, if you've got the little Moe girl, of course there's got to be a scene where, you know, she's taking a bath, then Luca walks in and is embarrassed because he didn't mean to do that. Oh, God. You know, that's your anime gag that you have to throw in there by law. But it's not really that much of the movie. And so I think this is something that now that I've seen it, I'm mad that it didn't come out here because it came out and everybody who saw it pirated it. Everybody downloaded a fan sub of it or, you know, however it was that people got it. Like this should have been something that got released like ASAP. Yeah, I thought that this would be licensed already. Yeah, it was only released for like a week or two in the theater in Japan. And there's no announced U.S. license by anybody. I mean, this thing seems like it would have Funimation's name all over it. 
but they certainly haven't announced it. This is the year to release a Bayonetta anime in the U.S. We're getting the sequel later this year, I guess. Bayonetta 2, I mean, maybe the original idea for the Blu-ray release, I'm sure, was by the time this thing comes out on video, the game will be out and didn't work out that way because we don't know exactly when that game is coming out. It's just sometime this year, maybe. Hmm. It's a real missed opportunity, because, I mean, if you take it in that sense, this would be a movie that people could sort of watch to refamiliarize themselves with what was the deal with Bayonetta was if they didn't feel like replaying through that game or if they don't have the system that those games were on. And then the second one comes out, and they definitely don't have the system that it's on because it's Wii U exclusive only, which is why I bought that system to play that game, but it's definitely a strange thing to do. Yeah. Still no US release. Blu-rays released in Japan. People released their 1080p pirate fan sub encodes like very quickly. Hopefully we will see a release of that soon then. I actually would buy this if it came out, even though I've seen it. That is that is a strong recommendation, then. When I look at the ANN encyclopedia of all 25 people who bothered to watch this, the average rating for it is 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10. And if I was the kind of person who did that sort of thing, that'd probably be about right, only because I'm so familiar with what it's adapted from. Hmm. I think if you were just walking into this cold, you'd, you'd probably be slightly confused to what the hell did I just watch, at which point that would effectively capture the sentiment of so many of us becoming new fans of anime in the <laughs> mid-1990s. Hmm. Interesting. So I should probably show this to some of my friends then, because... You might get kind of pissed off. I don't know like how people would react, because I know you guys are real familiar with Bayonetta as well. Well, I am. Nobody else is. I'm trying to convince Clarissa to play the game, because you do own a copy. My dad was able to play through the game and beat it. He wrote me email saying this game sucks because it's difficult, and I said, turn the difficulty down. And so he was like, no, I want to do this like a cool buy. And it's like, no, <laughs> just turn the difficulty down to easy or very easy and go through it because all platinum games yeah, it's, it's designed for that. all platinum games are designed that i don't know what i'm doing the first time i'm playing such so you have to play through the whole game just to learn how to play this game that's how they all are designed in fact you usually can't even do well until you play through the game the first time and unlock all your moves and your weapons. Yeah. And then you can go back and play through the game. But it's such a time crunch. Yeah, it's just tricky for me, like, with the amount of stuff that I have to do and the limited time that I have available outside of work to do it in. To exactly. play games that I have to play repeatedly like that. Well, I disagree that you have to play through it multiple times. I think you'll get an awesome experience out of it once. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. The people who... But for mastery, yes. You have to play through it multiple for times. For mastery and for doing well, mm. you have to play through it multiple to times. To just enjoy the awesome cinemas and to have a good time with the game, play Which through it once. Which is how most people play games. Playing through it once will give you everything. Yeah, if you play through it on easy or very easy, you get that. Which is you know, what most people play games for. So I would say to do that. One thing I will say about this, there is no fly me to the moon at any point in this anime. Oh. Oh, there well. is no mysterious destiny at any point in this anime. And I'm actually okay with that because those were like the most overplayed tracks in the video game. Yeah, they were. That was like the equivalent of like how Yuki Kaijura did like four CDs worth of soundtracks for noir and you only remember that one, one fucking, fucking song. song <laughs> because they only had like one song that played during the fights. And so in Bayonetta, there's like two songs that play during the fights. And that's all you can really remember. And then when you go and you look at the soundtrack to Bayonetta, it's like Four six CDs, CDs long yeah. or something like 
hilarious. It's like, where was all this music? Yeah, it's five CDs <laughs> you know, of soundtrack for Bayonetta. And you're like, well, where was this music? And a lot of it they did reuse for the anime. The song at the end is a, a new song. But yeah, I mean, I can see recommending this. I feel like, you know, I'm kind of conflicted with it. I feel sort of similar, like uh, maybe a little bit better than like the Space Pirate Captain Harlock. Like I feel kind of similar about both of these movies. Like there are things that are definitely good about them things that are definitely like deficient about them both of them are adapted from like prior things that i have a good bit of familiarity with that i can recognize immediately at a glance that's different or they have to change that on their own i i kind of think like well overall the positives mostly outweigh the negatives but i can see like if you put different weight assignments to like those flaws that definitely exist you'd say oh this shit sucks so that's it's kind of like why I figured I would talk about both of these things in one shot. Well, let's put it this way. It sounds to me like you would buy Bayonetta and you wouldn't buy Captain Harlock. Or am I wrong in that assessment? I have to think about that because I didn't buy the Appleseed Ex Machina either. And I enjoyed that one more than the original Appleseed. But I own the original Appleseed somehow. I think I bought <laughs> it very cheap. Don't you own that because they sent it to us or something? You didn't put money down on that. The thing is, I own a scratched up two disc steelbook of the original Appleseed. So I must have bought like a cheap used copy. But I don't own Appleseed X Machina. And I like that one more, even though the hardcore nerds hate that one more. It's like, no, that's the one I think is better, especially the part where it's revealed that Briarios' clone is not a black man, and then he punches out a robot. People are, like, mad that he punched out a robot. Not me! He punched out a robot. <laughs> Therefore, Appleseed X Machina, the superior film. But no, I don't own that one, and I, maybe I should. I definitely don't own Starship Troopers Invasion. I don't own Halo Legends. So the idea is you don't know. It would come down to, like, what extras are you giving me? Because that's kind of like what drives most of my media purchases. Like, well, what are the extras on that? I've already seen the movie. So, yeah. Uh, let me know what you think. If you decide to check either of these things out, our website is www.animeworldorder.com. Once again, our email address is animeworldorder at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at animeworldorder, though you'll get better replies from us much faster if you tweet us directly. I'm at Daryl Surratt. Gerald is uh, at Gerald underscore AWO. And Clarissa is at Clarissa G. So uh, that's going to do it for us. So uh, we'll see you next time, folks. 